The NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament has captivated America for decades. From perennial contenders plowing through opponents to unlikely 16-seed Cinderella's knocking off number ones, every March, anything is possible. But in March 2020, a global pandemic caused the arenas to fall silent. In an unprecedented move, the NCAA canceled all conference tournaments and March Madness. Might Arizona have made their way in this season? Now, we'll never know. But there was once a time when there was no chance at all. Let's journey from the darkest days of Arizona basketball through the rise to national prominence. I'm Greg Garinger. Welcome to this special edition of the Tucson History Podcast from 1030 The Voice. We hope you enjoy The Desert Fox. Saturday, March 4th, 1972 at Sun Devil Gymnasium in Tempe, the University of Arizona lost 83-75, ending a dismal 6-20 season and the tenure of Coach Bruce Larson. The Wildcats really hadn't been very good for a while. In nearly 10 seasons in the Western Athletic Conference under Larson, they'd had four winning campaigns, and at best, they'd once tied for second in the WAC during the 64-65 season. Bear Down Gym didn't seat many. It had opened way back in 1926. 6,000 was the highest capacity it ever offered. But during that final awful season under Larson, the crowds usually struggled to exceed 1,000. Just to the east on the other side of Cherry Avenue, ground had been broken and construction was getting underway on the new McHale Center. The late 1960s had seen many universities replace their outdated gyms like Bear Down with gleaming new structures, better suited for NCAA Division I basketball, and built to host lucrative regional NCAA tournaments. Arizona's WAC rival New Mexico opened the pit in Albuquerque in 1966 and played host to the 1968 Western Regional Tournament. Anticipation was high for the opening of the $8.1 million state-of-the-art facility, but a big change was needed to breathe new life into a basketball program that had grown mediocre and stale. During the 1971-72 season, Fred Snowden was an assistant at the University of Michigan. He'd spent five years with the Wolverines, four of them under coach Johnny Orr, and he was ready to try his hand as a head coach. On the surface, the moment doesn't seem all that momentous. But Fred Snowden was about to become the first African-American coach at a major Division I school. He would leave behind the gray skies of Ann Arbor and head west for the sun. Arizona basketball would become very, very different. Arizona Athletic Director Dave Strack and President John Schaefer made a bold move hiring 36-year-old Fred Snowden in 1972. He was offered an annual salary of $23,500, $145,000 in today's dollars, but certainly well below the money paid for D1 coaches in 2020. Fred immediately went to work using his former Michigan connections to successfully recruit two inner-city Detroit prospects, Coneal Newman and Eric Money. At the start of the 72 season, plenty of excitement was in the air. The Cats lost their first two games, both on the road, to the University of San Francisco and to Stanford. Thursday, December 7th was their regular season home opener, 
and Bear Down Gym was packed for the first time in a long while. Number 17 USC was a formidable opponent. The crowd wouldn't be disappointed as Snowden and the Cats prevailed 71 to 69. In early January, they also beat their Western Athletic Conference rival New Mexico, who was ranked 16th at the time. On February 1st, 1973, over 11,000 filled the McHale Center on opening night as the Cats beat WACFO Wyoming 87 to 69. And suddenly, college fans across the country were taking notice of a team in Tucson. They finished that 72-73 season with a record of 16-10 and and finished second in the WAC. Snowden and assistant Jerry Holmes continued to bring some of the nation's best players to Tucson. One of the all-time greats arrived before the 73 season. Bob Elliott, a 6'9 center, made his presence felt quickly. The Cats continued to pack McHale with Snowden's exciting fast-paced brand of basketball. After a 21-point season-opening win over Illinois, they went on to beat number 13 Kansas State on December 19th at McHale. And then on January 11th, 1974, Snowden got his first win over a top-10 opponent as the Cats took down number 8 New Mexico, also in front of the now-passionate McHale crowd. During that season, Arizona climbed as high as 12 in the AP polls. This was uncharted territory for a program that was in the grips of total malaise just two years before. They would finish 19-7 and and once again second in the whack behind the New Mexico Lobos. The beginning of the 74-75 season found Arizona with a number 19 ranking. Tucson had become completely captivated by the Cats. They climbed to number 10 in the AP poll. But even with a final season record of 22-7, and they still couldn't win the whack finishing second for the third year in a row. The NCAA decided to expand the postseason tournament from 25 to 32 teams. Still, Arizona didn't receive a bid. They settled for an invite to the NCAA's NCIT, a secondary tournament built to try and kill off the NIT. 1975 was its second and final year. The Cats beat East Carolina and Purdue, but lost the championship game to Drake, 83-76. Never in the history of the program had the excitement for the start of a season been as high as it was in November of 1975. Arizona was a preseason number 11. The campaign began with three straight wins at McHale, followed by three straight losses, including those to number 18 Kansas and number 16 UNLV. Then the Cats and Snowden settled in and got the job done, finally winning the WAC with an 11-3 conference record and a 24-9 record overall. Along with the WAC title came an automatic bid to the tournament. Their first matchup in the round of 32 in Tempe would be historic. They beat Georgetown 83-76 in the first NCAA tournament game to feature a blackhead coach. Only this one featured two. Fred Snowden and the legendary John Thompson. In the Sweet 16 at Pauley Pavilion in LA, they secured Snowden's biggest win with a 114-109 overtime victory over number three UNLV. They made the Elite Eight, but the ride concluded with an 82-66 loss to UCLA. At the start of the 76-77 season, Arizona was a preseason number 10. They rose as high as eight, but finished in a familiar second place in the WAC. They still made the tournament, though, 
but they were upset in a first-round game by Southern Illinois of the Missouri Valley Conference. 81-77 was the final at Omaha Civic Auditorium. Bob Elliott wrapped up his prolific career with 2,165 points and headed off to the NBA. Fred Snowden took Arizona into the prestige of the Pac-10 in 1978. While he never again matched the success he experienced in those early years, his hard work built a program that would remain nationally respected and laid the groundwork for the arrival of Lute Olson, who came aboard in 1983 after Snowden stepped down. Fred Snowden's legacy was assured. Here's his daughter Stacy, speaking at Fred's induction into the Pima County Sports Hall of Fame in 2009. He really kind of set the groundwork for many black coaches that are out there in the ranks, college and professional today. Being the first, being the pioneer, it's, it's hard, it's difficult. Um, there were some struggles in those early years here in 1972, but when my father came in with his kitty core and brought really national prominence to Tucson and to the University of Arizona's basketball program for the first time, I think it was something that really electrified this community and something that I will carry with me forever. Snowden was inducted into the Arizona Sports Hall of Fame in 1988 and the Pac-12 Hall of Honor in 2015. Snowden enjoyed a very successful post-coaching career, including an executive position with Baskin-Robbins. Fred passed away in January of 1994 while preparing to attend a ceremony at the White House. Every year we expect the best out of the Cats, and we've spent many a day in March disappointed after a tournament exit. But we've also experienced the highest of highs. They're not going to foul him. It's only right. The ball's in his hands. A milestone victory for Arizona. Simon Says Championship. We owe it all to a groundbreaking pioneer, Coach Fred Snowden, the Desert Fox, who changed the game forever. I'm Greg Garinger, and this is the Tucson History Podcast. He is one of the greatest Arizona Wildcats of all time. He was a broadcast analyst for the Cats for 27 years. He also played for Coach Fred Snowden from 1973 through 77. We are proud to have Bob Elliott on the Tucson History Podcast. Glad to be here. Your path to Tucson began through your relationship with former Arizona Athletic Director Dave Strack. When Coach Strack was the coach at Michigan, the very first basketball camp I ever went to as a kid was the Dave Strack Basketball Camp at Concordia College. We go back to when I'm like 10 years old, and, and Coach Strack had his uh, office position where he could see the, the ticket office. And so, say if my dad were to go up there and buy a ticket for he and I to go to a game, Coach Strack would come down, he tapped me on my head, and he'd say, Dr. Elliott, I've got to have Bobby when he's ready to go to college. <laughs> so, Coach Strack was recruiting me, doing his recruiting thing back when I was in elementary school, and I loved it, never forgot it. After he stepped down as coach, Strack spends a few years as business manager for Wolverine Athletics. Then he makes his way to Tucson. He and Arizona President Dr. John Schaefer make the decision to bring in Coach Snowden. You know, actually, I'm pretty close, not only when I was a student, but even to this day with Dr. Schaefer. The whole how he ended up with Coach Strack is because Dr. Schaefer's wife, who's also Dr. Schaefer, Helen Schaefer, was very good friends with the president of the University of Michigan. And so when Strack got the job, 
Schaefer said he contacted the president in Michigan to say, okay, I'm sitting here as the president of the University of Arizona. I'm 36 years old. The previous athletic director, I need to find one because they decided to build this big arena across the street from a gym that only seats 3,000 and we're only getting 1,000 people and they're not going to have a 13,000 seat arena. So Dr. Fleming, who's the president of Michigan says, well, we got a great one here. His name is Don Canham. You can't touch him. But the guy that's written underneath them reporting him is a guy named Dave Strack. He'd be a great one. That's how Coach Strack came out there. So when Coach Strack and, and, and Dr. Schaefer talked about who to hire as the new coach, both of them were like, let's go for it. So that's how Coach Snowden comes out to University of Arizona. And that's how I, myself and many others came out here with him. You had some history with Fred prior to being recruited to Arizona, right? Well, my first meeting with Coach Snowden would have been when he was, I was in eighth grade, because remember, he was the assistant coach in Michigan. And so I knew Coach Snowden and his family, because our high school is right across the street from the Michigan Athletic Complex, the big house, as well as the Chrysler Arena. So I actually knew Coach Snowden for four years prior to him, you know, getting the job at Arizona. Growing up there in Ann Arbor, you always thought you'd be a Wolverine. So what made you choose to be a Wildcat? University of Michigan, obviously, well-regarded athletically and academically. Um, for me, it would have been an easy move. About 70% of our classmates would go across the street and go to University of Michigan from Ann Arbor Pioneer High. But Coach Snowden plugged something in my ear, which was, let's go west and make history. So you come in as a freshman in 73. You guys go 19-7, and seven, finish second in the WAC for a second straight season. What's the atmosphere like at McHale? Oh, it's nuts. It amazed me as I got older realizing what Coach Snowden had done. Because he, he came here the year before I got here. It was also the first year that freshmen were eligible to play uh, Division One, And so he goes into a place, bear down, averaging thousands in attendance on a 33,000-seat uh, gym, and sells it out. And in mid-season, without an established season ticket base, goes across the McHale Center and sells out 13,000-seat McHale Center. I mean, that, that, that's the part of the story that still, even as an adult, amazes me. What was it that made Coach Snowden's style of play so different than a lot of the other programs at that time? Well, there were two rules back then when I was in college that they do no longer have. Number one, we did not have a shot clock. Number two, we did not have three-point shots. If you think about those great UCLA teams, if a team like an Oregon or somebody in the old Pac-8 got up by four points, they would just hold the ball. And that's when you have a final score of 16 to 14. You know, it, it's crazy. Whereas Coach Snowden was always about up and down, run. Uh, it's kind of a Detroit flavor to it. Uh, the year before I came out here, we had a summer league uh, team representing the city of Detroit. And that's how I first played with Eric Money and Cody Norman and Jerome Gladney. And, and their coach, uh, Coach Nichols, who was from Kettering High School, was our coach for this team. And he used to have the same speech for a pregame talk. I want my 100 by the third quarter. So Coach Snowden was letting us run and gun. That, that was right up our alley. And one of the things that still kind of gets under my fingernails, people say we didn't play any defense because we gave up so many points. So take the game when we gave up 92 points to Utah. We scored 122. Look at the differential in the score. Don't look at the amount of points we gave up because every time we score, they get a chance to score. So the fact that you gave up 92 points to me is not the real issue. The fact that we beat them by 30. You guys were setting the tempo. Yeah, it, it was up and down. If we get up on somebody, they basically were stuck. They had to now play our game, which was up and down. Fun way to play. I used to love to uh, get a defensive rebound 
And one of the guys I used to emulate there was Wes Unsell, who had a great outlet pass. And I figured if I can get this thing out there to money uh, at half court and with corn running and Jimmy Rappers on the wing, that meant that if I got the rebound, Al Fleming was the trailer. If Al got the rebound, I was the trailer. And that was it. What qualities did Fred possess that made him so special? Coach Snowden was a motivator and could talk. He could talk so well. He was eloquent in his speech. You know, he was a guy that had a bachelor's and a master's in ink with a major of English, and he used the English language to his advantage. He was a motivator and a great speaker. What do you think inspired him? Well, Coach Snowden, people might not realize, when he was coaching in Detroit Northwestern High School, was both the baseball coach and the basketball coach, and probably baseball was coaching's first love. But he had such success on the basketball court with guys. Uh, I remember he used to tell us, um, yeah, well, I had the four tops and attempts when I was coach at Detroit Northwestern. And we're like, yeah, coach, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. Well, we go to play UNLV in Vegas. Who walks in the locker room? The attempts and the four tops. <laughs> like, okay, all right. They come in, and, and you know, they, they come in the locker room, and it's, where's Fox? Where's Fox at? There goes Fox. So in the 74-75 season, you go 22-7. and Again, you finish second in the WAC. You don't get the invite to the tournament, but you do get into a secondary tournament the NCAA had created called the NCIT. You lost the championship game to Drake. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, people don't realize that back then there were not 54 teams in the NCAA. There were close to the 30. And there was a rule that if you hosted a regional, you, you had to win... You had to be invited to the NCAA tournament. You couldn't go to the NIT or any other tournament. So, like, my freshman year, we came in second, had a great record. We were hosting a tournament, and that was an infamous game, a triple overtime between Dayton and UCLA uh, in McHale Center. But we're sitting in the crowd watching because we couldn't go anywhere. That sec- Our second year uh, is when we um, were able to, uh, to, to – we played well again, but – I mean, you know, you had to go to whatever tournament you can go to, which was fine. Um, great exposure. Um, the, the championship game was on national TV, so that helped us get ready. But that second year for me, the 74-75 year, we were playing with two guards, Gilbert Miles, who needed knee surgery, and Jimmy Rapids that needed ankle surgery. So that's when Coach moved me to the three to take some of the pressure off of them. And I would bring the ball up in that and... and I mean, you do what you have to do. You know, it's all about the team. You do what we need to win. I think that 74-75 season really prepared you guys for 75-76. Tell us about that WAC championship season and your first trip to the NCAA tournament. Well, to start with, we have now two healthy guards. That always helps. Um, I moved back to the center position, and we had more firepower, more people, more uh, people we could go to. Everything seemed to flow, which led us into that uh, NCAA tournament. First time that uh, a, a black coach was in the NCAA tournament, and actually it was us against Georgetown, and John Thompson was the coach of Georgetown. So at the same time, both of these African-American black coaches would be coaching in history, and so whoever won that game would be the first black coach to win an NCAA tournament game. The 114-109 overtime win against UNLV in the Sweet 16. Would you consider that to be Coach Snowden's biggest win? Definitely. Without a doubt, that was that was Coach's biggest win in, in his tenure coaching career at Arizona because it, it took us to the finals of the Western Regional. And the way it was back then, 
the other three regions had completed. So at that point, they knew three of the slots in the final four. It was the two teams left in the West, which were Arizona and UCLA, and the winner goes to the final four. And, and uh, unfortunately, we were not successful, but it's another stepping stone. It's, when you're building a program, it's about stepping stones and, and laying asphalt down, and, and the next coaching team comes along and they lay some more asphalt down. And you keep doing that, and that's what creates traditions and creates a program. And that leads us perfectly into my final question. In your book, Tucson, A Basketball Town, you make the case that with no Dave Strack, there's no Fred Snowden, no Lou Olson, no Sean Miller, and many of the great players likely would have never come. No Steve Kerr, no Sean Elliott, no Miles Simon, and so on and so on. Without a doubt, Coach Snowden started basketball in hysteria in Tucson. When Coach Olson came, he really the fire. It's almost like uh, he, he took the building, did some tenant improvements, and refurbished it and took it to another level. So Coach Snowden laid some asphalt down. Coach Olson laid, it, laid more asphalt down. And and now we're looking forward to uh, Coach Miller laying some more asphalt down than what Coach Olson did. That, that's It's about being a program. Bob Elliott, thank you so much for making some time for us. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm Greg Garinger. Thanks for listening to the Tucson History Podcast. It's a production of 1030 The Voice and Bustos Media.